Well, we we can start our service by singing from Psalm 46a and sing psalms. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present aid. And therefore, though the earth gives way, we will not be afraid. We'll sing verses 1 to 5. God is our Shall we pray? Our gracious God, we give thanks that we can draw near to you at the start of our service. Uh, we give you thanks that you have uh, arranged for there to be a way in which we can approach to you and that we can draw near. And that way of we know is through your own Son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into our world to to bring to us salvation and did that through his life and death and we thank you now that he not only has been raised from the dead but that he has been highly exalted and given the name that's above every name and through that name we can draw near to you and uh, discover something of the divine resources that are available for us 
as we make our way through this world. And we thank you, Lord, that all these resources uh, come under uh, the, the umbrella of your grace. And your word tells us that you are the God of all grace, not merely the God of the amount of grace that's available, <clears throat> but also the God of all the kinds of grace that is available. And as we gather here, it is inevitable that we have a variety of needs, but we thank you, Lord, that uh, through your grace that is um, composed of many different uh, aspects, that we, our spiritual needs can be met. And as we come at uh, this time of communion, uh, there will be no doubt special aspects that we need encouragement in, uh, things in our hearts and minds that may uh, give us cause for uh, thought. And in these, uh, as far as these um, issues are concerned, uh, we may need a touch of your uh, spirit in our hearts. We may need a strengthening. Uh, we may need a sense of assurance. Uh, we may need confirmation that our sins are being forgiven uh, by you. We are aware that at such times as this, uh, the devil may be active in our minds with temptations and with distractions and with various other spiritual attacks and these attacks can affect us and we also know that our own sinful tendencies that at times they can show themselves and do it in ways uh, that we, uh, we um, are disappointed with and even do it in ways that we may wonder how they can be there. But we pray, Lord, that as we meet under your word, that you would give us encouragement, and that you would give us a sense of your favor, and that you would reveal to us in a new and fresh way that those who have trusted in Jesus, uh, that their sins have been forgiven, that they have been pardoned, and that they are, they are not going to be raised again as far as your justice is concerned. So we thank you, Lord, that we can uh, draw near to you and ask for your blessing. And as we meet here tonight uh, in preparation for tomorrow, we just ask that you yourself, by the Holy Spirit, would be preparing us. Yeah, you know exactly what we need, and we pray that you would give it to us. Uh, whether we are aware of, of that particular need in a precise manner or not. Lord, just come and help us. We've just been singing in the psalm that you are our refuge and our strength. And we thank you, Lord, that you are both these things simultaneously. And therefore, we pray that we would find um, a refuge and protection in yourself. And that also at the same time, you would be giving us spiritual power, spiritual energy, uh, spiritual strength to be able uh, to remember the Saviour in a way that is appropriate. So Lord, we just come and we ask you to do that. Uh, remember any who would wish to be here, but who are not able to be here, we pray your uh, blessing upon them. 
And we pray for uh, the minister of the congregation, that you would remember him too, and help him at this particular time. And we just ask, Lord, that you would best be with us, and bless us, and keep us, and speak to us from your word, we pray, and pardon our sins, for Christ's sake. Amen. We can sing again to God's praise, this time from Psalm 22, <coughs> in the Scottish Psalter. And we'll sing verses 1 to 6. My God, my God, <clears throat> why hast thou me forsaken? Why so far art thou from helping me and from my words that roaring are? Verses 1 to 6. <clears throat>
can read Psalm 22 from the Old Testament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a (coughs) ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him.
The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all those who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And may God bless that reading. We'll sing again from Psalm 22 in the Scottish Psalter, uh, this time verses 7 to 13. All that me see laugh me to scorn, shoot out the lip do they. They nod and shake their heads at me, and mocking thus do say. Verses 7 to 13.
We can turn back to the psalm we read from the Old Testament, Psalm 22. I'd like us to think together for a short time about verses 22 to 24. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. As I'm sure we all know, uh, Psalm 22 divides into two clear divisions. There is the first uh, 21 verses, and there a psalm of lament, a psalm almost of despair, as the one who is suffering. describes the intensity and the terror that he feels. And then in verses 22 to the end of the psalm, the the focus changes. And instead of the individual suffering and going down, From verse 22 onwards, there's no mention of suffering. And instead of going down, he's going up. And instead of being isolated, as he is in the first 21 verses, in the second half of the psalm, he's surrounded by vast numbers of individuals who praise him. And it's not too much to assume that the the reason why they are praising him is because of what's described in verses 1 to 21. Both verse 1 and verse 21 are quoted in the New Testament. Verse 1, of course, is said by Jesus himself on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 21 is quoted by the author of Hebrews in chapter 2 of that book. And in that chapter of Hebrews, he says that verse 22 describes Jesus. So we can see that the New Testament tells us that the speaker in the first section, verses 1 to 21, is Jesus. And as he speaks, he gives us an inside view of what he felt on the cross. And then in verse, from verses 22 onwards, he gives us an inside view 
of what he thinks of his exaltation and where his exaltation is going to go how high is he going to get and of course the the geographical range is as wide as it can be because all ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord So he's not only giving us an inside view, as it were, but he's also giving us a prediction. And in our day, when there's lots of things to discourage us about the apparent smallness of Christ's kingdom in our country and in the Western world, we have to remember these promises that tell us what Jesus thinks about the process of time and his assessment of time is that eventually all the world will remember and turn to him in the first half of the psalm as I mentioned earlier a minute ago his, he's alone but in a certain sense he's not alone because he's surrounded by wild animals and that's how he tells us the, the nature of the sufferings he underwent I mean there's the bulls of Bashan and as he mentions there in the psalm they are taunting him and of course when we think about the Jewish ceremonial law bulls were clean beasts and as we read the comments that are made to Jesus on the cross when we turn to the gospels and the the Jews the priests and the others who are there they're taunting Jesus and they're basically taunting him with the same words that are said in Psalm 22 it's quite extraordinary and then there's dogs and of course the dogs were unclean beasts and there in Psalm 22 they're staring at Jesus they look and stare upon him and they pierce his hands and feet and they gamble for his clothes and when we turn to the gospels who does that? who pierced him? and who gambled for his clothes? Roman soldiers Gentiles from a ceremonial point of view dogs then there's the lion save me from the lion's mouth who was trying to devour him 
who had more power than even the bulls of Bashan and the, and the dogs? Well, obviously in the natural world a lion does, doesn't it? And who was a lion that was trying to get rid of Jesus? The devil. And Paul tells us on the cross, as the forces of hell assaulted Jesus, and they did, but rather extraordinarily, on the cross he tells the Colossians, he made a show of them openly and brought them to nothing. Normally, when a person was crucified, their crime was written above their head. And of course, when Jesus was crucified, his crime was written above his head. He said, I am the king of the Jews. But Paul takes that practice and says that written above Jesus' head in a spiritual sense on the cross was not the accusation against him but the accusations against us. Why is he hanging there? Whose sins is he suffering for? Whose penalty is he paying? Whose sins are nailed to the cross? Written above his head. Our sins. And he paid the penalty for them. And having done that, what do we expect Jesus now to do? When he cried, it is finished. It doesn't mean that he had somehow or other decided not to do anything else for us. But there in verse 22, he tells us what he's going to do. And he tells the Father what he's going to do. But even as his sufferings involved us, so his future actions involve us. What he's going to do is teach us. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the church will I sing praise to you. Or in the midst of the congregation or in midst of the assembly. And with every teacher, we can say there has to be a subject, and there has to be scholars, and there has to be a school. What's the subject? The Father's name. Who are the scholars? His brothers. Where's the school? 
is in the great assembly. So I just want to think about these things first. This commitment that Jesus gave to his Father. And do we expect him to keep it? And then, after we thought about that, we can think about his call to those brothers, as he mentions it there in Psalm 22. You who fear the Lord, we're being told to do something. Praise him. Let's praise the Father. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Glorify the Father. And stand in awe of him. Why? Why are we to praise the Father? And what are we to praise him for? And we're told there in verse 24 why we should praise him. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. The affliction of the afflicted one is described in verses 1 to 21. In verse 1, there's this strange cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus felt that, how did his father react? What were his thoughts as he looked down on the cross? Well, we're told that in verse 24. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So I will think of these two things. The subject. I will declare your name. Name means character. Features of his personality. Who a person is. In a real sense. To uncover. Exactly who they are. Jesus here says I'm going to tell my brothers says to the father exactly who you are he's going to tell us about his attributes isn't he the almighty God the eternal one the God who is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent all these words that we use and we have no idea what they actually mean. We've seen power. But we've never seen someone that's almighty. And we've been in the presence of important people, no doubt. But how about someone that's omnipresent? And we've known those who knew a bit about us. But how about someone who knows everything? 
Are we curious to know what he's like? Because Jesus promises to tell us what he's like. I will declare your name to my brothers. Of course there's nothing new about Jesus doing that. Because that's what he did when he was here on earth before he was crucified. I mean that's. His teaching was all about the Father wasn't it? And he taught numerous things about the Father. No doubt we can think of many things that he taught about the Father. He taught about the Father with regard to spiritual disciplines. When he was speaking about things like fasting and giving alms and praying. And usually as far as these activities were concerned, what people thought about was, who's seen me? And Jesus said, doesn't actually matter what humans see you. God sees you. The Father who sees in the secret place. But he didn't just say the Father was looking at you with eyes that see everything. He said that the Father is looking at you to reward you. What an amazing insight into the Father's purpose, his knowledge. Why does he take note? The Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He told the disciples that it was the Father's good pleasure to give them the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When he rose from the dead, and he met Mary Magdalene, and he wanted to use her to send a message to the, the despairing disciples. And his message to her was, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. In his prayer in John 17, he tells us what the Father's like. He calls him Holy Father, Righteous Father. And we know the disciples were totally overwhelmed, is probably the only word that can be used, by the prayer life of Jesus. By the the simplicity and yet the seriousness with which he prayed and as we know they asked him to teach them to pray and he taught them the Lord's Prayer which of course somebody can say in a couple of minutes but he did tell them it doesn't matter the length what matters is actually what's said so therefore he said, didn't he, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So, when he says, I'll declare your name to my brothers, he's in a certain sense he's not doing anything new. Except the method by which he will do it will be very different because he'll no longer be there in person. 
he was with the disciples when he did all these things we've just mentioned but what he's going to do after his crucifixion as he fulfills this commitment no one's going to see him no one's going to hear a literal voice but they're still going to be taught and they're going to be taught something very unusual we might say but Jesus indicated that to the woman of Samaria when he said to her the heavenly father seeks such as you to worship him (laughs) it wasn't her seeking the father it was the father seeking her and Jesus as we're told in that account he had to go through Samaria and he had to go through Samaria to tell this woman that the father wanted her to worship him didn't take her long to do it she went away down into her village and started to tell others to come and worship as well but anyway what an amazing subject he's going to tell his people about the father of course it's an exhaustless subject enough we might say to keep the teacher occupied for eternity there's no end of this classroom then there's the scholars the brothers of Jesus who are his brothers of course that question was asked wasn't it one day when Mary and the family turned up at the house in Capernaum where Jesus was staying and he was told your mother and brothers are outside wanting to see you and rather unusually turned to his disciples and said these are my brothers how can they be his brothers well I suppose the answer to that question is to ask two questions what he became and what they became what did he become well he was the eternal son of God and as the eternal son of God in heaven he could have no brothers but he became a man and he mentions that in Psalm 22 when he says that the heavenly father was his God from his mother's belly and he became a man and one reason he became a man was to have brothers and as far as we know as far as his earthly family was concerned he had four brothers and their names are mentioned in one of the gospels but when it comes to this family the number of brothers is a number that no one can count so he became a man for them to become his brothers what had had to happen to them in order for them to become his brothers well they had to be converted 
And John tells us that. To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to as many who believe in his name. For him to become their brother. What a journey it was. For them to become his brother. How easy it was. Just believing in him. And they're all his scholars. The brothers are his scholars. And they'll be learning from him. Forever and ever. And where is the schoolroom? Or the school? Well he tells us it's a great assembly. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. In Hebrews chapter 12 we're told what the great congregation is. Where the writer says to his readers you've come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. To the heavenly Jerusalem. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To the angels who are celebrating. And to Jesus. And to God the judge of all. And there we are. That's where we are just now. I know physically we're in. North Keswick. But spiritually we are before the throne of God. And we're gathered there with every other believer. Not just the believers on earth. But those who have gone to heaven. And it's the same classroom. Some are more advanced in their knowledge than others. But there's not two classrooms. It's a great congregation. And we all learn together. And as far as the ones down here are concerned, how does he teach them? He does it through his word. And he does it through the sacraments. And as we gather here tomorrow, Jesus will keep the promise he made there in Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the church, I will sing your praise. And of course, being in the middle of the church means he's the same distance from everyone. And he's equally attractive to them all. And it's a wonderful place to be with this heavenly assembly. And there's new brothers in it all the time. And we don't see them arrive. But since our service began, the numbers in the great congregation have increased as sinners are gathered in from all over the world. It's an extraordinary gathering. And he... The second thing we want to think about is this call he makes to his brothers. That they are to um, say something to the Heavenly Father. That they are to praise him because 
He did not despise the sufferings of his son. He talks about their relationship. Who are they, his brothers? What else can we say about them? And he talks about their response. What should their worship be like? And he gives a reason why they should worship the Father. Just think about these things briefly. He describes his brothers there in verse 23. You who fear the Lord. Fear in the Lord. Well there's two ways to fear the Lord. You can fear him because you're frightened of him. Or you can fear him because you reverence him. The fear that's caused by being scared of him. That's not biblical fear. The people who are scared of the Heavenly Father are those whose sins have never been forgiven, who are outside his family who are facing his wrath. But those inside the family, the brothers of Jesus, well, they behave like their elder brother. I mean, how did Jesus react to the Heavenly Father? As he walked around in Palestine, How did he react in the Garden of Gethsemane? The writer of the Hebrews tells us how he acted there. And he tells us the reason why he was heard. I mean, there's never been prayers like the prayers Jesus offered in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, sometimes we find ourselves in great distress. But as the Savior fell to the ground, he didn't fall to the ground once. The tense that describes his falling to the ground is an imperfect tense. Which means that he was doing it again and again and again and again. Who knows how often he fell to the ground. Why was he heard? As he prayed there. Well the writer of Hebrews tells us he was heard and that he feared. Reverent, reverential fear gives God all the respect that can be given to him. We don't forget his greatness. He doesn't become our daddy. He's the eternal father. The one that Jesus worshipped. The one who Jesus worships.
I mean, Jonathan Edwards said on one occasion that the, the sight he was wanting to see in heaven was the humility of Jesus as he approached the eternal throne. And as we look at heaven just now, as part of the great congregation, we see Jesus, the worship leader, and he's saying to us to fear the Lord, to reverence him, to give him the respect he deserves, to confess that he is great and glorious. But not only does he say that his people are those who fear the Lord, but he also says they're the seed of Jacob and the seed of Israel. Who was Jacob? Well, maybe reading too much into it, but he was a cheat. He couldn't be trusted. His own brother couldn't trust him. But Jacob the cheat became Israel the prince of God. He was changed. And that happens to all the family members. Every one of them at one time was like Jacob and every one of them is changed into Israel and here we are Jesus he exhorts us to fear the Lord and to praise him he says all you offspring of Jacob glorify him I mean up in heaven there are creatures there who never sinned they don't have to be reminded to praise God. They do it automatically. But their praise is the praise of creatures who never did a thing wrong. The angels. Our praise is different. It's the praise of those who are sinners. And as far as the redeemed in heaven are concerned, as those who were sinners. But they have great reason to praise the Father. They praise Him because He sent His Son into the world to save sinners. That's their relationship. What's their response got to be? Well, we're told there in verse 23, three times what we should do. They are to praise him, and they're to glorify him, and they're to stand in awe of him. And maybe these three things tell the same thing. But surely they remind us that we should be eager and there should be an intensity in our worship. And sometimes 
the intensity gives way to silence as we stand there in awe of such an amazing God silence may not be because we have nothing to say it may be because we have no words fit to describe him why and we're given the answer there in verse 23 for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him as he heard us, but has heard when he cried to him. As Jesus hung there at Calvary, when his form was more mangled than that of any man, when people would turn their eyes away from him because of the ugliness of the sight, What did the Heavenly Father do? What was his response? Well, he did not think it was worthless. He didn't despise it. Nor did he think it was ugly. As his son was a sin bearer. He didn't think that the Affliction of the afflicted one should be abhorred. And as Jesus plunged the depths of divine wrath, the one imposing the wrath admired him. And as Jesus sent, sensed his isolation and cried from the depths of his heart about being forsaken, the one who had forsaken him looked on and looked on and never took his eyes away. We know God doesn't have physical eyes. But his full attention was concentrated on the one who was abandoned. He didn't enjoy the sight, but he appreciated it. And if he had anything to say, what would he have said? I think he would have said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus says, Praise the Father, because that is what he thought. Don't just think about him as the one who poured out his wrath on me, says Jesus. But think about him as the one who not only looked 
at the suffering Christ but listen to him because we're told about him but he has heard when he cried to him what is the first thing Jesus did on the cross he cried to God who did he cry about he cried about the soldiers that were crucifying him and he said about them father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing what did these soldiers say when Jesus died as they stared upon him with different insight the centurion and his four men what did they say surely this was the son of God whose prayer was answered who else prayed for these soldiers no one but Jesus did and there he says in the language of prophecy in verse 24 when I was in the place of affliction I cried and the heavenly father heard me and he answered my prayer and this is the God that Jesus is going to teach his people about forever and this is the God at whose family meal we gather tomorrow we meet in the presence of the reconciled father and we meet in the presence of the exalted son and we meet in the presence of the gracious spirit who can comfort us and he comforts us not only with what Jesus did at the cross but with what the father did as he heard the cry of his son a sample answer to all the prayers that Jesus does as he has ascended and up there in heaven intercedes based on his cross it's good to think about the cross isn't it it's good to plunge its depths because there we see the love of God and what God's love was prepared to give and what God's love was prepared to endure in order that we could sit at the table and get a foretaste a sample of the world to come and may that happen tomorrow shall we pray
Lord, we don't understand the cross. In a certain way, we know that there a great transaction took place. And the transaction was about us. But the transaction didn't involve us. Our sins were laid upon him. You placed them there. As we're told, you laid help on one who was mighty. But what a load he had to carry. And yet he was crucified in weakness. But somehow he paid the penalty. And our sins, our sins which deserve your wrath and curse, they've all been forgiven. How we should praise you. How we should stand in awe at such an incredible plan. Who could have devised it? Nothing apart from the wisdom of God. Help us, Lord, to marvel, to be astonished. And although we may have done the Lord's Supper numerous times, and maybe we can look back at many precious occasions, help us, Lord, to look forward to another one tomorrow when earth and heaven meet in a manner that is very unique. Lord, be with us, we pray, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 22, from Sing Psalms, uh, verses 22 uh, to 24. Now to my brothers I'll declare the praises of your glorious name. Within their gathering I will stand, and your renown I will proclaim. Verses 22 to 24.
Uh, I would just mention that the Kirk session will be opened after the service and if there's anyone in the congregation who wishes to come to see the session uh, with, with a view of coming to the Lord's table for the first time then the session would be uh, pleased to meet with them. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.